Let's take up where we left off. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, our Savior. God made him a prince and a savior with his right hand. The third section of Psalm 2 is Messiah testifying himself in the first person. I will declare the decree. The Lord, that is the Lord Jehovah, Almighty God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Amen. Jesus' reign would extend to the whole earth. The heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Jesus' reign would extend to the whole earth. Isaiah 2. I hope you remember. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that is the gospel, the, the law of liberty, going by the apostles. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, the nations and many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. A blessing of the gospel and its effect on Christians in all nations. Again, extend to the whole earth. We come to Matthew 23. Jesus told the Jews, I say unto you, you rebellious Jews, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, speaking of himself, shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus' reign would extend to the whole earth. We come to Revelation. John to the seven churches, which are in Asia, not in Israel, not in Palestine, in Asia, across the Mediterranean Sea. Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Right. Every word of these verses should light up your soul Amen. by his spirit and your effort to focus and think about them, and apply them, and, and listen to the person they are describing, the man Christ Jesus. Right. Jesus had the rod of iron rule. This back here was, the, his rule would extend to the whole earth. But now we look at his rod of iron rule, which was there in Psalm 2. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, remember, Revelation 2 and 3 are all about overcomers at seven churches of Asia, him will I give power over the nations. So there's our previous point. 
and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. A tire iron with a piece of pottery clay can reduce it to shivers. Even as I received of my father. Jesus already had it when Jesus offered it to overcomers in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 12. She, speaking of the Old Testament church, brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. There's our previous point, and there's our present point, with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. What did it take for Jesus to be caught up into heaven and sit at the right hand of God? His resurrection. More on that. Revelation 19, 15, out of his mouth, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Jesus had the rod of iron rule of Psalm 2. Let's jump to the fourth section. The rulers left on earth, all rulers on earth warned. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let's put our trust in him. No earthly monarch, no earthly prince, no earthly employer, no earthly anything, no earthly everything can compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. All rulers should kiss the Son of God, including ours. This is our brother Zach from North Carolina a few weeks ago. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. The gods are not idols. The gods are civil rulers. I have said, I'm jumping to verse 6, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. The rule from the fourth section of Psalm 2, all rulers should kiss the Son of God. Isaiah 60, Therefore thy gates, this is the Jewish Old Testament church, therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. And that is the glory and the growth of the Jewish church. Because of the blessing of Pentecost, the power of the risen Christ, and the work of the apostles. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. When you look through the world and see first world countries and second and third world, and you look at the prosperity of nations and the lack of prosperity of nations, the single most important fact of any nation is its obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's defense of that gospel and its promotion of that gospel. That's what made America great. America's constitution is not all that great. America's declaration of independence is not all that great. 
What is great about America is that the gospel has been preached here and protected here and promoted here. Acts 12, all rulers should kiss the Son of God. And upon a set day, Herod Agrippa I, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout. It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And so the Lord took down the Herod that had killed James with the sword and smote him because he didn't give God the glory. All rulers should kiss the sun. Acts 17, Paul on Mars Hill with the philosophers of Athens, Greece. And he told them the times of your ignorance. He has just described their ignorance and the ignorance of men. God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge He will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Do you remember earlier from John that God has put all judgment in the hands of Christ? God is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man Christ Jesus. The Father loveth the Son, whom he hath ordained. Every one of these words is precious. Who's ordained the Lord Jesus Christ? Almighty God Jehovah did. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. God, by his right hand, has made Jesus a prince and a savior to Israel. He ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he, God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And amen. Paul ends his little sermon on Mars Hill with the Greek philosophers, telling them about the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection confirms that God has put in Jesus Christ the authority and power to judge the world and that he's going to judge them and that though he may have overlooked their ignorance in the past for their foolish religion, he is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Everyone with Jesus wins. Revelation 17, 14. We had this verse once before. These shall make war with the Lamb, the ten nations of Europe, And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. The Lord's got his part in those three words, and we've got ours. Let's be faithful to his choice and calling of us. Psalm 2, that's what it looks like. Do you love Psalm 2? It's got four sections of three verses, so obviously divided, By the nation's rage, and they're still raging today, Jehovah laughs, Messiah testifies right here in this seventh verse, and rulers are warned. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. We've looked at Jesus being put on David's throne in Zion and ruling over the kingdom of God for the last 2,000 years. Now we look at this verse, which we have leaped over. Oh, yes. Psalm 2.7, I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I will declare the decree, the Lord Jehovah 
hath said unto me, Jesus of Nazareth, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Messiah is now speaking in the first person. Jehovah gave a decree, which Jesus the Son of God heard and repeated. This second person decree was to Jesus, like Psalm 110 about his right hand. The Lord said unto my Lord. When did Jehovah God make this personal decree to Jesus about sonship? Right here, these words. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. When did Jesus make when when did God make this personal decree to Jesus about his sonship? What event did God his Father intend by begetting him on a particular day? This day have I begotten thee. His resurrection. Now that does not immediately come to your mind. When you look at the words, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You could think conception. You could think birth. You could think twelve. When he's dealing with the lawyers in the temple, you could think way back to his incarnation and existence, but the Bible's going to teach us otherwise. This is a prophecy 1,000 years before our Lord's coronation as the Son of God. I will declare the decree right in the middle of Psalm 2, The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. When did Psalm 2-7 actually take place? When did God beget Jesus as his Son? In the sense of these words. There are only about three real options. You probably think when Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. It wouldn't be a bad thought, but the Bible's going to correct us. But Origen, Pope Frank, Presbyterians, and John MacArthur teach that it happened in eternity past by eternal generation. Unbelievable. What a nightmare of heresy. But Paul taught that it happened along with his resurrection. So it's not his incarnation up here of when he was born in Bethlehem, and it certainly isn't this heresy of origin. It's his resurrection. Some of you know this. Just remember that I have a whole congregation right down to Jackson. Yeah. I want you to pay attention to this slide. Thou art my son. That's what God said to Jesus. And he was talking about his resurrection. Right there. I want all of you to know this. I had a chat at break time with a 14-year-old on the front row. He's 50 years younger than me. If he will pay attention, he can help preserve the truth of God's word for 50 years longer than I can. For Sawyer, 15? Still 14, 14, same thing. You're learning things earlier than we did. Berean, what are you, about 80 years younger than I am? What will we do? We've got three options. What will we do? Go with our feelings or so-called great men or the inspired apostle for us Gentiles. 
Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 for his resurrection. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. This is Acts 13, 33. In our thanksgivings in prayer, just a few minutes ago, a particular word from this verse is in this verse in a King James Bible that a brother gave prayer, thanksgiving for. So let's read it. Let's read the, the verse. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Right. Now when we have the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, taking an Old Testament verse and applying it to a particular event, we thank the Lord for making something very simple and plain for us. And this is what he's doing. So as it is written, and we have looked at what was written in Psalm 2 and its 12 verses, and it is the second psalm in our King James Bibles. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. We have asked, when did it happen? What was the event that put this into force and made it true? And Paul said, it's his resurrection. Right. So let's go back to verse 26. Men and brethren, Paul's preaching in Antioch of Pisidia across the Mediterranean from Antioch of Syria, which was his home church. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham and whosoever among you feareth God, Gentile proselytes, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem, that means Jews, and their rulers, because they knew him not, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, nor yet the voices of the prophets that told about him and that are read every Sabbath day, they, the Jews, and their rulers, have fulfilled the scriptures in condemning Jesus, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they, that is the Jews, found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Did we just sing, Lo, in the grave he lay? And so we get to verse 29 of Acts 13 with that song, Christ Arose, and its first verse. Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 in this context. So now let's jump to the next four verses. But God raised him from the dead. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for raising Jesus from the dead. God raised him from the dead. So we have moved in Paul's sermon to the resurrection. And he was seen. Many days of them. How many days? Forty days. Of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of his resurrection. Because that was the key doctrine to preach, that Jesus, though killed by the Romans and the Jews, had risen from the dead by the power of God. And we, apostles, declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers of a Messiah, of a Christ, of the Anointed One, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. God has fulfilled that promise of a reigning son of David on the throne of David over the kingdom of God. He's fulfilled it in that he hath raised up Jesus again. Amen. He didn't raise him up the first time, so it's not his incarnation and what happened in Bethlehem. He raised him up 
again in his resurrection, as it is also written, as it is also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the words, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, written in Psalm 2 and verse 7, were fulfilled at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the word again. Let's go past our key verse of 33. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. If you read Acts 13 too quickly, you will come to verse 34. And if you're reading another Bible version, it's all over. It's curtains. You'll never know the truth. Because it doesn't have the word again. So since there's no resurrection in verse 33, you'll come to this verse and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, and you'll say, the resurrection isn't taught until verse 34. But I thought it was back here that we already had his resurrection. Right here, in verse 30. Because we have a King James Bible. It's a, it's a tremendous advantage. What is the issue of verses 34 through 37? The issue is not the resurrection. The issue is now no more to return to corruption. He said, on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. What are the sure mercies of David? No corruption. Jesus is alive forevermore. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Notice, corruption, corruption. I'll connect them for you. Corruption, I'll connect them for you. Corruption, I'll connect them for you. The issue is corruption in verses 34 through 37 because the issue of resurrection began in 30 and was stated clearly in 33. Okay, so we're in the New Testament and Paul is telling us how to apply Psalm 2-7. God hath fulfilled the... God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again... As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. We love these words. We want to know when they were fulfilled. Thou art my son. Paul used the words in that to show the resurrection fulfills the gospel. So we have in that right here. Paul used the words in that to show the resurrection fulfills the gospel. Paul used as it is written to connect Psalm 2-7 to Jesus' resurrection. He then used also, I believe and love every word of God. He, it could read, as it is written in the second Psalm. Also is put in there for a little bit of extra emphasis. He used also to emphasize applying Psalm 2-7 to the resurrection. If he would have said, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is written, without the also, it would still make the point, but we do have an also, and I love the also, because it's in God's word. The most important word here is again, without which it could be birth. What if it just read, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Are you with me on what I've done? I've taken out that word. 
then it could be birth. Because it would be God raising Jesus up, giving existence to him, raising him up as a boy out of Nazareth of Galilee. And then we would have the words, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and it would refer to birth. It would refer to incarnation if we didn't have the word again. God raised Jesus up again from death and burial, not up into existence. That's how important that word again is. The context before Acts 13, 33 is resurrection. Look at that. But God raised him from the dead. The context after Acts 33 is resurrection. But the issue is, he's never going to see corruption. He's never going to die again. He's alive forevermore with all those different uses of the word corruption. What will we do? Go with our feelings that it's his birth in Bethlehem or so-called great men that make it eternal sonship in eternity past or the inspired apostle for us Gentiles. It's a choice, but it's not a hard choice. We go with Paul. Paul clearly applied Psalm 2-7 to our Lord's resurrection and not to any other event. We will follow Paul and the Bible. We trust the Bible, Scripture, to make us wiser than our enemies, teachers, or the ancients. And you know this verse. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. For they, that is the commandments, are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Right. Every young man, 14-year-old, 14-year-old, every young man, every other young man in here. Landon, I'm looking at you. Logan, I'll get you next time. Landon, right here. If you'll learn God's word, you can be wiser than your enemies. You can have more understanding than your teachers. You can understand more than the ancients. Right. I wasn't overlooking you, Liam. I was thinking about you while I was talking about Landon. I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. There it is, in the middle of Psalm 2. Look at all the great things around this verse. The heathen raging. The Lord in heaven laughing at them, vexing them in his sore displeasure, guaranteeing that he has set his king on his holy hill of Zion, that he's going to give his king the inheritance of the earth, that his son, his, his, his son right here declared, Thou art my son, is going to dash them in pieces, and that all the earth and its rulers should kiss the son. Look at all the beauty around that. Fulfilled in that seventh verse, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. What happened with his resurrection? He ascended to heaven where he was crowned, highly exalted, and glorified over the universe. That's what happened. What did Psalm 2-7 say would happen? King, enemies vexed, inherit the Gentile earth, rod of iron rule, given absolute power. Did Psalm 2 things happen at resurrection? Yes. Just like the great mystery of godliness declares by six fabulous features of his sonship. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory, out of order, put last, without any coordinating conjunctions to make a powerful point of what was great, the ascension of Jesus Christ 
into heaven. This day is time. It's not eternity. And it's 2,000 or 1,990 years, if you want to be exact, from today. We find context, small and large, in total agreement with Paul. There's no reason to apply it to any other event, no matter how sentimental it might be to you or how traditional it is because of other teachers. Paul said it's the resurrection. Is there any more Bible evidence to confirm that Psalm 2-7 occurred in conjunction with Jesus' resurrection? Is there any more Bible evidence over Acts 13? I think there is. Hebrews 1-5. Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 again for Jesus' exaltation. For which of the angels said he at any time, and here's Psalm 2-7, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What's in the context of Hebrews 1.5? Right here. What's in the context of that verse? Is it stuff that happened when he was born? Is it stuff that happened back in eternity? Or is it stuff that happened after he was glorified? So, God who at sundry times and in divers' manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. When did he put all things into the hands of the Son? When he took his inheritance and sat down at the right hand of God. By whom also he made the worlds, he had done that with him, being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Did Jesus sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high while he was on earth during his 33 and a half years of life? No. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high after he ascended up into heaven, after his resurrection. Going further in Hebrews, being made so much better than the angels. Is that his creation? No, 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 no. No, no. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. If you're going to talk about his birth in Bethlehem, he was made a little lower. Being made so much better than the angels, when did that take place? When he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he was owned as the Son of God, and they're not, as it's about to explain to us. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance that he got when he ascended up into heaven, obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, and here it is, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God never said that to an angel. He said it to Jesus. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, all these agains mean I have another quotation. Paul says, I have another quotation. When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, see, notice, he separates Bethlehem and birth from resurrection. When he brought him into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. He would not have had this descriptive statement right here if he was already talking about his birth. He jumps to another subject, that all the angels of God worship him. And what did they do in the sky over Judea with shepherds keeping their flock by night? Burst the sky open and sang praises to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go a little further. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits. Well, that's nice. An angel is a spirit. And Lord, I, I do no disrespect to your angels. But do you, do you understand that statement right there? 
who maketh his angels spirits. An angel is a spirit. Settled. That's it. That's all. But what is Jesus? It, it looks kind of like this. And his ministers a flame of fire. Oh, so you guys are a spirit that looks like a flame of fire. Speaking of angels. But, but, unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Is that a little bit better than he made angels spirits? He made Jesus, the Son of God, and he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews 1.4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. How was Jesus made in this context? He was exalted to heaven by his inheritance. How was he so much better? Follow. I'm trying to help you see the word of God and rejoice in its every word. How was he so much better than the angels? Promotion over them. How many verses do I need to bring up about that? All the angels were put under his feet. Remember, he was made not as enemies. He was given authority over all angelic powers, angels, good and bad, principalities, thrones, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Remember, he was made a little lower than the angels to die for you, but now he's made better than the angels by promotion over them. What person in a family gets an inheritance? The beloved son, of course. What more excellent name did he get by being heir of all things? The Father hath given all things into the hands of the Son. What we've been learning all day. Verse 5. For unto which of the angels Jesus was made much better and got a more excellent name than angels. Part of Jesus' exaltation and promotion was being called the Son of God. Thou art my Son. Because God never said that to an angel. God never said any such thing to an angel though they may be sons of God. What book of the Bible says angels are sons of God? Job. So we rightly divide the word of God. Hebrews tells us God never called the angels son of God in the way that he called Jesus son of God. So we have to rightly divide the word of truth. Does that help you a little bit with, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and you want to think about begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary? And so we have to rightly divide it and say, if Paul told us it's the resurrection, then it's the resurrection, it's not the incarnation. Because we have to rightly divide, just like we do here. God does call the angels sons of God, but not one of them was ever singled out and given the title, the Son of God, in the way that Jesus was given and, and is still. When was Jesus begotten of God? When he got his heavenly inheritance. Because that's when, that's when this was said of him. being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When he got his inheritance, Jesus was begotten of God and declared to the universe to be God's son. When did Jesus get his great inheritance? After his resurrection and ascension. Right. What did Hebrews 1 say would happen? 
Jesus would be heir of all things, sit down at God's right hand, put above the angels, given a superior name, which is the Son of God, by begetting, with a throne and scepter, and distinct from Bethlehem. Did Hebrews 1 things occur at resurrection? Yes. Jesus' birth was an entirely different event. Hebrews 1, 6, I've already mentioned that and explained that to you. Did Hebrews 2 things occur at his resurrection? Yes. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, and all things were put under his royal feet. Do you remember this passage? I read it to you last Sunday. So let me be quick. In verses 6 through 8, Paul is quoting David from Psalm 8. And Paul points out, but now we see not yet all things put under him. This prophecy in Psalm 8 says that all things will be put under the feet of man. But the man is the man Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, though we don't see yet all things put under him, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That's his incarnation for the suffering of death. Now he's crowned with glory and honor. That's his coronation, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. This day is time, not eternity. We find this Hebrews content and the Hebrews context in total agreement with Psalm 2 and Acts 13. There is no reason to apply Hebrews 1.5 to any other event, no matter how sentimental or traditional. But it happened at his resurrection and ascension into heaven when he obtained his inheritance and all things were given into his hand and he was given a name which is above every name, a name angels had never gotten. Up to that point, he was lower than the angels. It wasn't until his resurrection and ascension into heaven and being crowned at the right hand of God that he was made so much better than the angels. Not until that moment. He was lower than the angels for the suffering of death. No angels have ever died. No angels have ever been afraid of dying. No angels have ever sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in a garden anywhere because none of them ever died. Jesus was made lower than the angels. Then he was made higher than the angels. He was made lower than the angels by incarnation. He was made so much better than the angels by coronation and glorification and exaltation. I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Psalm 2.7, used by Paul twice for exaltation. This is Psalm 2.7. Then we have Acts 13.33. Then we have Hebrews 1.5. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul tells us in Acts 13, it's the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us when Jesus got his inheritance and was given the name, the Son of God. But Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 another time. Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 for Jesus' priesthood. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. God called Aaron specifically out of the tribe of Levi to be the father of all the priests. So also... In the very same way, God called Jesus to be priest, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Oh, there it is again, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And so Paul, in Acts chapter 5, ties Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee with his priesthood. Was Jesus a priest when he was on earth? No, he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb. 
When did he become the priest? When he was in heaven, after he had offered himself to God and was accepted. Then he became priest. Watch. Jesus was not priest before his resurrection. He was the sacrifice. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When did Jesus go inside the veil as our forerunner and was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, alive forevermore to intercede for us? After his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Let's just keep reading in Hebrews. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands on earth in Jerusalem, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Amen. Jesus had to, had to ascend up into heaven to be in the presence of God to be a priest for us. Let's remember some other verses we've learned along this very same line, and I hope that verses are coming together in your minds and understanding. Romans 5.10, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Death is not priesthood. Death is being the sacrificial lamb. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more... I've taught you over the years, mm -hmm. being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not his life before his death, his life after his death, his perpetual life in heaven as our intercessor and high priest. Who is he that condemneth? Romans 8.34. It is Christ that died, but there's something better. Yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God. He wasn't at the right hand of God when he was on earth. He's at the right hand of God after he ascended up into heaven, who also present maketh intercession for us, the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. How do we find the truth of Psalm 2-7? Because we had Hebrews 1-5. Well, this is, this is Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. God hides truth from the wise and prudent, those that think themselves smart. God reveals truth to babes, the uneducated and despised, as so they are thought by the educated. Why does he do this? For his glory and because it seemed good to him. That's how we know it. We depend entirely on God to know either the Son or the Father correctly, which is what this passage goes on to say. We depend entirely on God to know either the Son or the Father, correctly. He will reveal both, and He has to us for our humble belief in His Bible. Amen. How do we find the truth of Psalm 2-7? There are no contradictions. A text without context is a pretext, so we looked at the context in all places. We compared Scripture with Scripture, and we rightly divided words for their meaning. That if begetting is attached to the, to the resurrection by Paul, then we should attach begetting to the resurrection. Are there any other verses that teach such great things attached to his resurrection? Like begetting? Think. The resurrection declared Jesus to be God's son with power. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. This is the opening of Romans. Called to be an apostle, separating the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Amen. We don't have just Acts 13. We have Romans 1. We have Hebrews 1. We have Hebrews 5. And we have Romans, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. While Jesus was on earth, he was in a state of humiliation. He did not appear to be the Son of God, though God did say at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God did say that at his transfiguration to three souls from earth. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But when it was declared to the universe and all angels were put under him, it took place after his resurrection and ascension into heaven and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Yes, we have more verses that tie the whole Bible together for us. Is there any more? Jesus is the first begotten of the dead, John of the seven churches, which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. That's Almighty God, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first, and the first, you got to be kidding me. We have this in the Bible too? The first begotten of the dead. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. He's the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. And amen. amen. And Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He was the first one God raised from the dead and put his own right hand and said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The first begotten of the dead, the firstborn from the dead, declared to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Are there other verses that reference his greatness attached to his resurrection? Oh, there are. You want to know how I'm the son of God? Put me in the ground and I'll come out in three days and three nights. Attached to his resurrection. Right here is our point, what we're going after. Resurrection. John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Resurrection. Matthew 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. When was that stated? After his resurrection. Acts 2, I gave it to you yesterday in the preparatory email. One of my favorite little verses, sections in the Bible. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. After his resurrection, Jesus is at the right hand of God exalted. God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, Lord in Christ. When was he made Lord in Christ in the fullest, plainest, most powerful way? When he was at the right hand of Almighty God. Jesus was Lord in Christ after his resurrection. Be it known unto you, you read this from Acts chapter 4 last night, whom God raised from the dead, which has become the head of the corner. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has now become the head of the corner because God raised him from the dead. You thought you got rid of him. He was set at naught of you builders, but God made him the chief cornerstone, all attached to his resurrection. No wonder 
You had to have witnessed the risen Lord Jesus Christ in order to be an apostle. Acts 5, that we began with this morning, his resurrection. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, because he raised up Jesus. This is Ephesians chapter 1. That's wrong. It's Ephesians chapter 1. When he raised him from the dead, far above, all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, all things under his feet, gave him the head over all things to the church. When he raised him from the dead. When he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Her child was caught up unto God after his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to heaven, and then this song could be sung in heaven. Now is come salvation and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, because Jesus Christ did not have this kind of power, this kind of reigning authority until then. Don't tire of these verses. I know you're tired. I'm not tired. I could just keep going until we would have to open up the mess hall again. Whoever got up here this morning, oh, brother, son, I enjoyed that calling it the mess hall. The kingdom of, I'm about done. I'm just trying to get to some place that I recognize. I've got a couple hundred slides. And we're not going to get them all. There's no reason to apply Psalm 2-7 or Hebrews 1-5 to any other event. Right. But, what does the Geneva Bible do? You know, people write me sometimes and say, isn't the Geneva Bible better than the King James Bible? No. It's not. The Geneva Bible. One of John Kelvin's influences in this world. Here's what they say at Psalm 2-7. So, it is applied to Christ in his first coming and manifestation to the world. No, it isn't. Paul said it was not. How about Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown at Psalm 2 I don't want to read this to you, but... Oh, they don't like the word again. See? See, there's no again to them. John MacArthur, I gotta read this. Oh. John MacArthur once defended the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ. I remember when I first came to Greenville in the mid 80s, and I was at the Bob Jones Library, and I got a grad assistant who knew his theology because I was in a rare book room reading Jonathan Edwards. And I asked about sonship after I came down here to be the pastor of this church. And he said, oh, you need to go up and read John MacArthur's commentary on Hebrews chapter 1. He knew that because it had been pointed out to him in theology classes that John MacArthur was wrong. But he pointed out to me, so I went and added John MacArthur to one of our first proponents of the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ in agreement with us. But then he recanted. It is now my conviction that the begetting spoken of in Psalm 2 and Hebrews 1 is not an event that takes place in time. This day. <laughs> anyway, okay. Even though at first glance, Scripture seems to employ terminology with temporal overtones, this day have I begotten thee, the context of Psalm 2, 7 seems clearly to be a reference to the eternal decree of God. It is reasonable to conclude that the begetting spoken of there is also something that pertains to eternity rather than a point in time. 
The temporal language should therefore be understood as figurative, not literal. Eternal sonship by a man who once rejected it. The begetting referred to in Psalm 2 and John 1.14 clearly seems to be something more than the conception of Christ's humanity in Mary's womb. Are you kidding me? But the word was made flesh? Is something of eternity? There's flesh in eternity? So for any of you that may have thought, I think the pastor is getting enamored with John MacArthur. You don't listen well. He's a test case. I'd rather see him in prison than me be in prison. See, he's a test case in California. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I pray for him all the time. I prayed for him last night. I did not mean that disrespectfully. Let him, let him do what he's doing. I thank God for Governor Henry McMaster. Do you remember the importance of the word again in Acts 13.33 for resurrection? I'm going to finish with this point. It's going to take me a couple minutes. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. That can't be incarnation or birth, can it? That's got to be resurrection because of the word again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. To deny Jesus' sonship at resurrection, modern Bibles remove again. What is the first modern Bible? Do, do you know? It's this one right here. 1881. The Church of England said, we need to have a new revision of the Bible. We need to update that King James Bible. Because it was the Church of England that gave it to us the first time. So they thought they would do it again in 1881. It started in 1870. It was an 11-year process. Westcott and Hort snuck a different Greek text into that committee meetings, which has been exposed by others that were on that committee, the Revision Committee of the Church of England, and it came out as the revised version. America could not copy it for 20 years due to copyright privileges. As soon as the 20 years was expired in 1901, the American Standard Version came out in America with that text. It's called the Revised English Version or the English Revised Version. The short form is just the Revised Version. It's the first main translation of the Bible after the King James Bible. There were other little Bible translations that didn't go anywhere, but this was the first big one. And notice what it says. In that he raised up Jesus. It got rid of the word again. So now it can be incarnation. Now it can be his birth. Because it took away again. And whenever you hear us say these two names with disrespect, we mean it. Because they snuck a new Greek text into that translation committee of the Church of England that resulted in 1881 in the revised version. But now, in 1982, Thomas Nelson Publishers took the King James Bible said it's just a new King James Bible. We've just made a couple changes, just enough changes for the United States to give us a copyright on it. Because you can't take public domain and leave it public domain and get a copyright. You've got to make a few little changes. 
And so they made a few little changes so that Thomas Nelson Publishers could get a copyright in the New King James Version. No one can sell a New King James Version except Thomas Nelson Publishers. And they took the name of a public domain Bible, King James Version, and stole it to be a cash cow for them for the past 38 years. You, you sound disrespectful of Thomas. You haven't heard half of it. Go read a document on our website about the King James, the New King James Version. Notice, he has raised up Jesus. Whereas again, it's gone. That's 101 years later after the Revised Version. What other Bibles remove again? There's a short list for you. You know, you can check all these things out now with just a click of a Google search box. We don't want the Geneva Bible. We don't care about the Catholic Reims Douay. John Darby, I haven't read his in a while. <laughs> Young's Literal, American Standard. See, that's when we got our copyright. And there it goes. We've got current versions over here. There's the Southern Baptist version, Holman Christian Standard. There's Eugene Peterson's The Message. There's the English Standard Version that conservative Christians rave about. It doesn't have the word again. It's no different than the others. There it is. There's the New King James right there in the middle. Okay. What do their Bibles remove again? All those Bibles do. Are you thankful for your King James Bible? Amen. Let's check a few older ones. How about John Wycliffe? in 1380. For God hath fulfilled this to their sons, and again raised Jesus. As in the second psalm it is written, Thou art my son, today I begat thee. Hmm, interesting. How about William Tyndale, who gave his life? He raised up Jesus again. Now, for those of you that are speed readers and you're wondering about the first psalm, for a while, the first psalm, what we would call Psalm 1, those six verses that blessed is the man that walketh not in the council, was the introduction of the book of Psalms, was not considered a psalm. Or it was considered jointly with Psalm 2, so it was called first. But don't worry about that at the moment. I want you to see the word again. William Tyndale in 1534, Thomas Cranmer, who had a Bible version in 1539, again. What about the best Portuguese version that I've told you about in updates? I don't know if you read them or not. But I've told you that the Lord has been very gracious to us and found us a Portuguese King James Bible, a Chinese King James Bible, and a Croatian King James Bible. In the last couple years, we have found those three. Portuguese. Let me read this to you in Portuguese. Not. <laughs> it's right here. I hate green now. God fulfilled us, his children, resurrecting Jesus. Now that's even plainer than raised up again. As it also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, I have begotten you today. Resurrecting Jesus. There's Portuguese. Thank you, Lord. Because they translated from the King James Bible. They didn't translate from the New King James Bible. They didn't translate from the American Standard. They didn't translate from the English Standard Version. They didn't translate from the Message. They didn't, they didn't translate from, Mark, this is for you, the word made fresh. Did you see it back there on that list? Do I have time? No, I don't. But look at Mark. My nephew Mark loves that particular translation of the Bible, the word made fresh. 
It's for another time, and it will make you very healthy if laughter is good for the body. There's the Portuguese version. I rejoice, thank you, Lord. Brother Matthew is going to have to go through and change the text at the top of the 915 commentaries in Portuguese because it was the best translation we could use, but now we have this one. Chinese. Titus. God has given us the fulfillment of being their children and resurrected Jesus as recorded in the second Psalm. You are my son. I give birth to you today. Resurrected. Isn't this beautiful? How about Croatian? I'm not going to pronounce that one either. God fulfilled this for us, their children, so that he raised. Now, it says raised, and so we're not sure what's meant by the word raised, but this is because I stuck it in Google Translate. When you let a Croatian read this, ooh, Okay, thank you, Lord. It could have been ugly. Nope, we could have ended. It's resurrected. It's resurrected. The Lord has been so gracious. Three translations in the last couple of years revealed to us in Portuguese, Chinese, and Croatian from the King James Bible with the word again. We're Bible Christians. Every word of God is important. Proverbs 30 says, Every word of God is pure, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Please stand with me. Thank you for your kind attention. I hope you love the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't get to my invitation. My exhortation. What a Savior we have. God's raised him up to be a prince and a Savior, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you in Jesus' glorious name for the word of God that has revealed to us all these details about thy Son. Father, if it were not for Scripture, we would not know about thy Son. We would know thy eternal power and Godhead. We would know your providential care. We would know about the conscience that you've put in us. But because you've given us the Scriptures, Paul once had to ask, What advantage then hath a Jew? Much every way, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. We thank thee that you have given us thine oracles, that we might know about thy Son. And we understand Psalm 2-7 of being a glorious description of his reign over the universe. And we do put our trust in him. And we ask thee for thy blessing upon us for trusting thy son as the last sentence of that psalm declares. We thank thee that the Apostle Paul by your inspiration and then the King James Version by your preservation tell us in Acts 13 that it was attached to his resurrection. And then we're able to see that throughout the whole New Testament the great things that you have done to honor your son and to crown him with glory and honor and to set him at thine own right hand on David's throne over your kingdom forever and ever by the zeal of thou, thee, O Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, do not let our children escape the conviction of thy word and the importance of thy son. Let every one of our children believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them confess him with their mouth and believe in their hearts that thou hast raised him from the dead. Let them live lives worthy of his name. Let them, when the age comes, to be baptized and to swear allegiance, to rise, to walk in newness of life 
as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for all that You've shown us. Convict us of it even more. Reveal Thy Son even more fully to us by Thy Spirit and Thy Word, and we will follow Him. We will believe on Him. We will teach Him. We will defend Him if You'll bless us. In Jesus' glorious name, we commit our souls unto Thee. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.